The download is complete. Welcome to the AV Podcast, presented by Jason Bradbury and Phil Hinton. Welcome to the AV Podcast. In this edition, we have the latest hardware news. Jason tells us why we has changed his life. The AV Player Review Team review Over the Hedge and the Barnyard. And we also have a roundtable discussion about the movies of M. Night Shyamalan. This week's, this week's Audio-Visual News. In the news this week, Blu-ray predictions from Warner, a new PVR from BT, and new projectors from Panasonic, Epson and JVC. We start our news this week with some interesting boasts from Sony. PlayStation 3 is now being touted as the last item audiophiles and home cinema fans need. For Sony has declared a paradigm shift in the world of audio-video. We already know that the PS3 will offer cheapish Blu-ray movie playback from launch and will also have the ability to play standard CD and SACD. But a recent announcement from Sony seems to suggest that the games console will also be an audiophile playback system. Sony have just released a firmware upgrade for the PS3, which will add 88kHz and 176kHz sampling for CD, in addition to 44.1kHz. The update is said to be just the first addition in a program of refinements which will take advantage of the incredible power of the cell processor at the heart of the PS3. But while Sony are yet again giving the PS3 a big up, we in the UK are still waiting for the machine to actually arrive. It's been said that Sony are certainly hedging quite a few bets on the PS3 being a media centre for your entire AV system. But many in the industry are pointing out that at the end of the day, the PS3 is a games console and will be purchased as such. One such industry insider has this week poured cold water on Sony's claims that the PS3 will help to expand the Blu-ray disc format for movies onto the market. Time Warner CEO Richard Parson has this week claimed that the PS3 is nothing more than an expensive games machine and that users will be using the system to play games and not movies. He's allegedly told Reuters that the PS3 will not be the saviour for the ailing and expensive Blu-ray disc format as many predict, and that his company has seen no evidence of this being the case so far. Of course, Warner should be in a prime place to state such, as they are one studio who are releasing content on both Blu-ray and HD DVD. It would seem there still doesn't seem to be any end to the format war this side of the decade. Last week we told you about the incredible PVR from Evesham, which would make your Freeview life a pleasure. Well now BT have released more details on their own PVR, the V-Box unit, which uses the BT Vision TV service that launched on December the 4th. The V-Box will be available to all BT Total Broadband customers free of charge, but you'll have to pay a one-off £90 connection and installation fee. Once installed, there'll be a video-on-demand service, which is priced at £1.99 for films and 79p per TV show. This will mean that you can catch up with any Channel 4 programme that you might have missed during the week whenever you want. The service works by being connected to your existing aerial for Freeview stations and to your existing BT Total broadband for on-demand content. 
It also utilises the BT Home Hub system, which, if you already subscribe to BT's Package 2 or 3, will also be included free of charge and allow Wi-Fi connectivity. The V-Box itself will allow pausing and rewinding of live Freeview TV and the ability to record your favourite programmes to the unit's hard drive, which is quoted at saving 80 hours of content. The box is also rumoured to be HD ready for the introduction of on-demand or Freeview content when it appears in HD in the future. The system is available now from BT and those interested in finding out should head over to BT.com. Now, with the ever-increasing viewing options open to us and many of the new services either providing HD content now or soon, everyone is aware that at some point they need to go HD for their display. The market may be moving slowly in that direction when it comes to 1080p flat panel displays, but it seems the home projection market is moving faster than ever, with another three 1080p projectors being announced this week. First up is the announcement from Panasonic about its PT-AE1000, which has true 1080p pixel resolution. Priced at an attractive £3,000, the unit employs a 2x powered zoom and enhanced lens shift capability for 100% vertical adjustments and 40% horizontal adjustment, as well as an 11,000 to 1 contrast ratio, 1,100 lumens brightness and twin HDMI inputs. The only downside we can see for this LCD unit is the rather disappointing choice of grey for its housing. Next is the announcement from Epson that their model EMP-TW1000 will be heading for both Europe and the States in January. The unit uses three LCD 1920x1080 chipsets, along with its 1080 perfect video processing and absolute black technology, and is able to offer a contrast ratio of 12,000 to 1. Touted as a new standard of 1080p projection, the unit also boasts an ISF calibration mode and a new high-efficiency lamp dubbed eToll. There's no clear pricing yet available from Epson, but expect to pay around £3,000. And finally for this week's news is the projector causing a real storm of interest on the AV forums, the JVC DLA HD1. Until now, it had been Sony and its Pearl, or to give it its proper name, the VW50 SXRD projector, which is available for around £3,000, that had set the yardstick for the most cinematic pictures in the domestic 1080p market. But now, JVC comes to the party with its offering, which by all accounts may take the top slot. The unit boasts a contrast ratio of 15,000 to 1, an industry record and without the use of any iris system. Coupled with JVC's DILA technology crammed onto three 0.7-inch chips with reduced light spillage, and you can see why interest in this unit is high. DILA technology is similar in many ways to Sony's SXRD system, offering a natural, rich, flicker-free picture, which doesn't suffer from the sort of colour-breaking phenomenon that can often incur with single-device projectors, especially when there is rapid movement. The result is a smooth picture, similar to that produced by film, with fine detail from one edge of the screen to the other. JVC recently held an exclusive viewing of this machine for the UK press and dealers, and AV Forums member Elliot Hicks, who also runs Guildford-based PJ Hi-Fi, had a sneak peek and was thoroughly impressed. So yeah, basically I was lucky enough to be invited to see the latest JVC projector, the HD1, uh, which was set up on a Stuart 120-inch diagonal Greyhawk screen. Um, we were demonstrated this against the Sony VPEL VW50 Pearl projector. Um, JVC showed us several clips, um, basically highlighting the, the key differences between 
um, how a system looks with and without the iris. So we were shown clips from Pirates of the Caribbean in high definition. It was a very dark internal cabin shot. Um, and there was lots of low-level black detail as well as, well as some uh, very bright white scenes. And this was cut frequently between the two projectors and it was uh, glaringly obvious um, how the JVC dealt with this in comparison to the Sony. So whereas the Sony, the whites would look very washed out. Um, the JVC was incredibly vibrant, very, very bright white next to a very deep, inky black. Um, this was very impressive. Coupled with the fact that they also showed us several test patterns, um, I was looking at convergence, which has been a key issue with the Sony projectors, although it has improved of late. The JVC are claiming to be uh, much tighter tolerance-wise in terms of convergence when the players are shipped, um, as well as uh, uniformity across the whole white field. So all in all, I think the JVC is going to be an absolutely stunning projector um, when it's launched late Jan, early next year, and I look forward to getting my hands on them. There's no concrete pricing on this unit yet, but it should hit the dealers early next year with an expected price tag of between four and £5,000. Join the discussion at Europe's largest home cinema website. Log in to avforums.com. The world's longest-lasting batteries from Energizer. Energizer Ultimate Lithium take up to 630 photos in digital cameras compared to just 90 with ordinary alkaline batteries. Perfect for MP3 players. Ultimate Lithium lasts up to five and a half hours longer and are ideal for when you're on the move. Chances are you're going to need batteries again this Christmas. Choose Energizer Ultimate Lithium. Energizer. It's what's inside that counts. For up-to-the-minute AV discussion and hardware reviews, visit avforums.com. From AV Play, it's this week's DVD and HD news and reviews. And as always, round about this time on the podcast, it's time for the DVD news and Seth Gecko. Well, Fox Home Entertainment have announced the Blu-ray release of The Moraine on the 13th of February 2007. For those who don't know what the film is, it stars the WWE champion John Cena as Marine John Triton. Basically, it's your typical action-adventure no-brainer type movie. Now, the disc is going to boast a 1080p 235-to-1 transfer. It'll have a DTS-HD loss of sound and Dolby Digital 5.1 surround soundtrack, and a completely huge amount of extras including the bullet and body count meter, which is exclusive to Blu-ray, should you so desire it, a commentary track with John Cena and Kelly Carlson, the making of the Marine, a profile of John Cena, his military history, and all sorts of other promotional features from the WWE. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or not, but if you like that kind of movie, so Steven Seagal fans will be out there and buying it, Keep an eye out for it on the 13th of February, where it'll have a $40 price tag. Paramount Home Entertainment has announced the US Region A release on Blu-ray of We Are Soldiers and The Mancunian Candidate for the 23rd of January. Both of these discs will be priced at $29.99. However, there is no details on any extras. HD DVD fans will be pleased to know the release of two exciting titles on the 16th of January. The first title is Lucky Number 11. It's a very much a film noir movie, and if you're a huge fan, look out for that on the 16th. Unfortunately, no extras have been announced on that particular title. 
and the second title I'm particularly excited about, which is Clerks 2, the Kevin Smith movie. Now the exciting thing of that is it's including all of the extras from the uh, standard DVD release, and it will be a two-disc um, edition on HD DVD for a reasonable regular price tag. That's right, no inflated um, price tag a la the Mission Impossible release. It's going to be a regular title as far as that goes. Um, you'll have the commentary, the 90 minutes making of. If you don't know it and haven't seen the movie, you should go out and buy it. It's hysterically funny. Paramount Home Entertainment has announced the US HD DVD release and US Region A Blu-ray release of Black Rain on the 23rd of January, priced at $29.99. Recently remastered and with new extras on DVD, Ridley Scott's international crime thriller starring Michael Douglas and Andy Garcia is now coming to both HD formats on January the 23rd. Disc details are a little bit sketchy, but they will be presented in 1080p widescreen, sound formats are to be confirmed, and we expect bonus materials from the recent DVD release to be available on both editions. Now, depending on your sense of humour, you're going to either view this news item as incredibly funny or with a tear in your eye. Criterion have announced that they have resolved their issues renewing the licence of the movie Salo. Salo normally sells on eBay for around £200. It is arguably the rarest DVD now. But because the licence has been renewed, Criterion themselves are going to bring out a brand new disc with a new HD transfer in 2007. So for those people who actually wanted to get their mitts on a copy of the Criterion Silo, you'll be able to do that next year without having to spend a huge fortune. And last up from myself this week is Sony Pictures' announcement that they're going to release Gandhi, the 25th Anniversary Collector's Edition, on Region 1 DVD from the 13th of February. The critically acclaimed film, an international box office hit which was nominated for 11 Academy Awards and won 8 of them, will be available for the first time in a two-disc collector set with extensive new bonus materials. The disc will include a 235-1 anamorphic widescreen transfer and English Dolby Digital 5.1. And as we already said, disc 2 is stacked to the gunnels with special features. And finally, Buena Vista Home Entertainment have announced the release of The Night Listener on standard DVD on January the 9th. The film features Robin Williams as a radio psychologist who's drawn into the life of a troubled boy who's abused by his parents. Tony Collette co-stars in this movie, and it will feature a 185 anamorphic transfer with a Dolby Digital 5.1 track and will retail for about $30. And that's your DVD and high-definition news for this week. This week's DVD Reviews. Okay, well this week I had the chance to look at um, another animated movie, CG animated movie. It's Barnyard from the Nickelodeon TV channel. Uh, basically, it's it's a, a great fun movie. It, it came in under the radar at the cinema this year. No one went to see it. There was lots of bad press about it, negative reviews. Don't believe a word of it. It's great good fun. There's a bit of a western vibe to it. You have cows ruling the roost um, at the at the farm. You have Sam Elliott playing the, the wise old sage-like and loyal and um, duty-bound cow called Ben who watches over the entire you know, population of the farm. He wants his son, Otis, who's voiced by stand-up comedian Kevin James, to follow in his hoof steps and become um, another um, stand-up sort of cow. And But of course, Otis just wants to have fun, wants to party on down. The barn is full of Cotton Eye Joe songs and 
country bumpkin music and it's a wild old place to be. Sadly, tragedy will step in, meaning that, of course, Otis will have to find some courage, will have to find um, the cow within him and some bravery and heroism and step into the breach and defend the farm from the villainous, horrendous, wily coyotes who live over the hill and quite frightening they are too. Um, it's, but having said that, it is still you know, a family fun orientated movie throughout most of it and, it, and the, the gags are, are fast and wild. The, uh, the party scenes in the barn are brilliant. My son cannot stop watching this movie. There is, I've got to tell you, there's one guy in it, there's a fat rat rapper who's called uh, Biggie Cheese, who has some nibbled cheese bling around him, who, who's doing Shaggy's Bombastic. It's a great, great turn, and there's lots of other fun moments like that. The disc itself is, a, is top-notch quality. The visuals on it are absolutely jaw-dropping. It's only a standard DVD, but... The, Honest to God, the uh, the picture looks absolutely amazing, crystal clear, very vibrant. The animation's a bit weird. It's kind of you've got to get used to it. And I know people who don't actually like this style of animation. It looks kind of plasticky. It looks very artificial, as CG is going to do anyway, primarily. But it has a very sort of tractor Tomish style approach. Now I quite liked it. The characters obviously look very very fake, but the backgrounds, the environments. The backdrops always look very, very scintillating, very detailed, very rich. It's a very, very colourful movie. And the, the Dolby Digital 5.1 is family friendly. It's not going to raise the rafters. It's not going to disturb the neighbours. It's got a little bit of surround effect to it, but mainly it's it's across the front speakers. And it, it's nice. It, it, it certainly is. It, it does its job, but it's not going to blow the roof off. Um, you've got quite a lot of extras on it too, which, which are quite nice. They're all skewed towards the how fun it was to make this movie. But whereas a lot of discs tend to like, it seems fake when they say all this, you get the impression here that these guys really had a good time. You get to meet all the vocal cast as well. People like Andy McDowell, people like Sam Elliott. Um, and there's a, there's a departure in, in its own right for CGI movies on DVD because when they, they tend to talk about the end, uh, the vocal cast, they don't actually show them, you know, like the Incredibles being a major example. You didn't meet the voice cast at all, only in a few little snapshots here and there. But here they get to talk about it. You have a, f a few deleted scenes. These are very, very rough cut. Um, CG's very raw. Uh, they they're nice, but they, you know they weren't going to make the finished cut, and you can you can certainly see why. And you have a little tiny snippet about you know animating these kind of movies which is not too techy. Um, it's, again, skewed towards the kids. But hey, you know, you can wrap up all these extra features in just over half an hour. And, you know, they don't I'll say they're welcome. That's nice. They, they tell you a little bit, and it's, it all, it's all part of the fun of the movie as well. There's a chat track too, which is uh, from the director and a few of the, two of the animators, which is very nice. It's very jovial. A lot of in-jokes and private stuff going on, but it's actually, you know, it's nice to be part of it. So overall... I absolutely adored Barnyard, and the good news is that it's going to be um, on the may actually be out now a spin-off TV series as well, and it is great. I recommend it wholeheartedly. For the full package, I'd give it a good solid eight out of ten. 
Well, this week I watched Over the Hedge uh, on Region 2 DVD. Again, it's another CGI animated movie, and it features RJ the Raccoon, uh, who's voiced by Bruce Willis. Now, he's basically a typical raccoon uh, scavenger-type character who wants to basically steal food, um, basically store it away for his own use. He doesn't have a family, he's all on his own, he's a reclusive character, and he steals food from essentially vending machines um, basically garbage where, wherever he can find it however he walks away empty-handed and decides that he's going to steal from Vincent um, who's voiced by Nick Nolte um, who's squirreled all of his food away for the winter and he almost gets away with it except it all goes a tad pear-shaped the food gets destroyed well, Vincent obviously is none too impressed with this so he gives RJ an ultimatum. The ultimatum is replace the food in a week or die. So what took six months for uh, Vincent to squirrel away is only going to take a week for RJ otherwise he's basically a pelt on somebody's cave. So he enlists the help of Vern and his family. Well, family's a, a loose term, it's a collection of various animals um, including some porcupines and uh, Hammy the squirrel. He essentially teaches them to look over this hedge that's all of a sudden appeared in their area of woodland and is now a, a huge um, suburb. So RJ is showing them how to steal food to fill their log. What, what the family don't know, what Vern doesn't know, is that RJ is basically using them um, nefarious means so that he doesn't end up dead. That's the basic basic gist of it. Um, in terms of a picture, it's absolutely stunning. Um, I've not seen a, a better CGI transfer, certainly this year. Um, there's no artifacts, there's no uh, halos, there's excellent amount of details. Even when it's particularly dark, because there are several nighttime scenes, it's still very sharp, very crisp and very detailed. It is an absolutely gorgeous picture. The sound is, is not the most aggressive soundtrack on the planet, but on the other side of the coin, it is very, very good. There is some excellent panning effects from front to rear. Um, there is excellent use of LFE. Most movies tend to handle LFE quite um, aggressively, so uh, for rockets and gunfire and so on. This particular one was very subtle in its use. There's a, a scene towards the end where RJ and Vern shoot up in a rocket, effectively. Um, and the, the, the LFE rumbles ever so nicely, but is not particularly overwhelming compared to a lot of other movies. It's just really nice. It's not going to be a demo for everybody, but it's very subtle in how it's handled. Now, there's two versions of the movie available. You can either get the single disc or the dual disc version. Now I looked at the dual disc version and there are a lot of extras on the second disc. The big problem with the second disc is a lot of them are for DVD um, players on an IBM PC compatible using Windows XP. If you don't have a Windows XP based computer then the actual second disc is not going to be of much use to you. But if you go for the just look on the first disc you're going to have things like the little six minutes short of uh, Hammy's Boomerang Adventure. Now they claimed on the back of the box that it was one of the funniest six minutes you'll ever see. It's kind of a amusing but it's one of those little animated shorts that's more aimed at kids um, they're gonna get much more out of it than a, an adult will but there are some excellent extras there's a, a commentary track um, there's a few little online games and so on uh, on the actual single disc um, so it's a really good little package the movie itself Again, it's going to be a good pleaser for children. The adults will get a kick out of it. My favourite scene in the entire movie was one one of the little porky pets turned on the 
Dolby surround system and the THX trailer comes up and it's sitting on the arm of the chair and it's slowly going back um, with its spikes all pushed back and they fire off back to uh, RJ and Vern the Turtle. It's, it's a nice little scene and not one that kids will get a, a kick out of but adults will, will appreciate the humour there. And William Shatner's in it as uh, one of the opossums uh, and there's a, a scene where he dies in front of all the humans and that's very typical Shatner Kirk um, acting. A really good, a good laugh on, on that one. Like I say, good entertaining movie for kids. Pretty good fun for adults. I'd give it a solid 7 out of 10. For the biggest and best DVD and HD news and reviews, visit avplay.com. And it's now time for this week's Top 10 Films of 2006 from one of our reviewers. We said it would be Simon Crust this week, but unfortunately Simon's been unable to join us on the podcast for this week. So, stepping into his shoes is Seth Gecko. Hi there, Phil. Well... This particular um, top 10 is slightly eclectic compared to Chris's last week, and I'm going to kick it off with Slither, the 70s homage to horror movies, which is very tongue-in-cheek and just plain good fun. Um, It's not everybody's cup of tea. It's just basically, as I said, it's a homage. Uh, An alien comes down, takes over a body, chaos reigns, turns them into zombies. Um, It's just good, schlocky, uh, amusing fun. Um, my next movie is going to be of no surprise to a lot of people, uh, and I shoehorned it in here. It's Mr. and Mrs. Smith Unrated. The original I really liked in 2005, uh, and they brought out the unrated edition, which has just got a few tweaked scenes, but it has uh, Angelina in it as usual, and it's just a really good, fun movie. You know, the idea is it's, it, it is just fun. Um, it's not going to win any awards for acting, that's for sure. It's not going to win anything um, for a storyline either. But there is really good chemistry and some really good put-downs and a few action sequences. And it's a, also a good surround sound uh, workout as well. So I, I really liked that movie. Next up, I've got Matchpoint, Woody Allen's movie with Scarlett Johansson. Um, a complete departure from Allen's normal kind of comedy. This was quite a dark uh, movie, um, basically, of somebody maintaining a better lifestyle than what they probably deserved basically a a love triangle which all goes a bit pear-shaped Scarlet is delectable as usual it's just a real strange movie from someone like Woody Allen Um, and it's a really good thriller and uh, it keeps you kind of guessing where it's going at the end and when sort of the big twist happens at the end it's just really out of the blue uh, as such I, I really liked that I then went for Where the Truth Lies, um, uh, not particularly huge uh, mainstream title, definitely a cult movie I feel, which stars Kevin Bacon in one of his uh, better turns, and um, Colin Firth. Um, it's a nice little murder mystery, and it's uh, it's quite adult in its tone. I feel that it, it, it's one of those movies that's probably been uh, overlooked by a lot of people and underrated in other circles. It's makes a, a huge change in the fact that it treats adults like adults. Um, it's basically sex, drugs, uh, murder, and it's just really entertaining. And if you haven't watched it, you should nip out, rent it, buy it, whatever. It's good. My next movie is Brick. Again, a bit of a cult movie. It's film noir, but in a, the most unusual settings of a high school in America. You can see the kind of Mickey Spillane obvious roots. There's some you know, obvious uh, strange language used for keywords like tug, brick. And it's just, uh, again, very cleverly done. And a very strange uh, mashup, I think, is the, 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 the 
common vernacular these days of having two very strange genres. You've got the, the noir element and the um, sort of high school uh, teenage movie, and, and it fuses them together. I and mean, it doesn't basically play out like a teenage movie. It is strictly this this noir detective movie. Um, but in in the environment, it's just off kilter, and it's very well done. It um, keeps you guessing until the end. Um, it, it's very verbose in its dialogue, but stick with it—an excellent movie. United ninety three would be my next choice. A controversial movie at best because of the subject matter of nine eleven and the plane where the passengers went against the terrorists. It's, it's a very hard movie to categorise in, in, in some senses because it's very uncomfortable to sit through and watch but it is very compelling. Um, the actors are not particularly well known. Some of the people involved in the production of the film were the actual people in charge of um, the, the um, flight control etc. You know, I would, I would again recommend watching it. It's a very rewarding movie. If nothing else it will probably leave you a little unsettled at the end my number four movie is an old classic it's probably my favorite horror movie of all time um, which was a nightmare on Elm Street the platinum edition um, treated to a 6.1 DTSES soundtrack and a new transfer um, if you don't know the story where have you been dare I say it, it's just bloody good fun um, and with the new print new soundtrack some new extras um, the, the, the commentary track, the pop-up information, the, you know, sort of the, the white rabbit type deal. Um, really good package, really good movie. For number three, I've chosen Hard Candy. Um, again, probably not an easy watch, more for males than anyone else. Um, it's, it's effectively a two-horse race in this particular film. There's, for the most part, only two characters in it. Um, it's a slightly shocking movie in some places. It could be classified as very uncomfortable. Um, for a particular notorious scene but it's very well done and again the best thing about this movie is like I say there's only two people in it for the most part I think the, the, the entire cast you know is about four realistically um, and it sh just shows that if the one sort of small set two actors can actually carry off a hundred minute movie quite easily um, and, and again it does add some uh, provoking thoughts while you're watching it um, for my penultimate movie a recent-ish title on DVD is Clerks 2 from Kevin Smith. A lot of people didn't like Jersey Girl. I still found that quite amusing. This is basically him back on form. We get back to Dante and Randall. Um, they're no longer in the uh, quick stop. They've now gone to Movie's Burger Bar. They're joined uh, with Rosario Dawson, um, and it's basically more of the same. More sharp banter, more film references, more typical Kevin Smith um, humour. Um, and that's before we even mention the interspecies erotica. Um, if you like Clerks, if you like Kevin Smith's movies, there is a lot to like in this movie. Um, it looks better than most of the other ones that he's done, obviously on a, a slightly bigger budget. And for those who are worried, yes, Jay and Silent Bob are in it. And my big choice, my favourite movie of the year, I'm going to have to give it to V for Vendetta. I reviewed it on HD, um, it's available on DVD, it doesn't matter which format you get it on. It's a particularly good movie, it's based on the comic books by uh, Alan Moore, it's slightly bleak with religious overtones, I reviewed it on the podcast uh, a, few, a month or so ago. It's just a really, really excellent story. It's very well done on the, on the screen. The Wachowskis, who are 
well known for the Matrix uh, trilogy, even though the uh, last two parts most people didn't like. I'll very much back on film on this particular one. And it's just an excellent movie to watch, visually, sonically, and more importantly, the story is engaging. There's a couple of bits where it lulls slightly, but uh, that can be said for virtually any movie anyway. But uh, yeah, that would be my pick of the movie of the year. And our thanks to Seth Gecko for his top 10 of 2006, and hopefully next week... We'll finally catch up with Simon with his top 10 of the year. For more DVD news and reviews, visit avplay.com. Jason Bradbury. Well, as I wave goodbye to Series 5 of The Gadget Show and prepare to uh, get back to work in uh, mid-January on Series 6, the most abiding image I'm left with, really, is, uh, is the impact that the Nintendo Wii had on me. You'll know if you uh, read my blog at jasonbradbury.com or hear my stuff on, uh, on Radio 5 Live that um, this thing has made a real impact. And having it at home now has really cemented what, for me, is, I think, one of the most interesting gaming experiences that I've had for years. And bear in mind that I do get to travel around quite a bit and see some pretty cutting-edge stuff. I think that's, that's, that's quite a statement. What I'm enjoying now is just the uh, just the basics of the interface, the fact that when you move the Wii controller wirelessly around, say, the menu before you even play a game, there's a slight sort of uh, vibration when you go over buttons on screen. It's really thoughtful. The whole unit is so sort of composite. Uh, I also logged on for the first time yesterday, although I've got to be honest with you, I didn't get all the way. Something went wrong with my system, and then my baby woke up, and so I had to kind of leave it mid-update. But um, I'm fascinated to find what the Wii's going to hold for me next time I, uh, I have some time to spend with it and I get it hooked up via Wi-Fi and download some of the online content because of course this is one of the big after sales selling points that Nintendo are pushing there's this whole sort of opportunity to download all kinds of Nintendo classics Call of Duty 3 remains um, a revelation in terms of the interface you know one of the problems I have now is in terms of progressing through the levels is just being fit enough it really does start to ache on your arms because you're holding this this gun and, and it doesn't seem in any position can ease the pain, which for me, you know, is, is an advantage. I love the sort of visceral nature of it all. Uh, Tony Hawk's, uh, I think it's called Downhill, is, is absolutely awesome. Because, of course, when you think about it, while, you know, you think that you control your skateboard with your feet, you don't really. You control your balance mainly with your torso and your arms, so... Again, the Wii interface is extremely responsive when it comes to perhaps, you know, the world's most famous skateboarding game. Zelda, uh, not my scene in terms of the, the genre, but I, I do love the interface again. I love firing the bow and arrow and riding the horse. In fact, one thing I do think would be an absolute winner on the Wii is a horse racing game. I think it'd be absolute corker. And of course, the other game that I'm really excited about at the moment is Red Steel. You know, it's, as far as launch titles go, I reckon Red Steel... Zelda, Tony Hawk's, Call of Duty 3. You know, it's a pretty awesome lineup. I remember when, uh, you know, PS2 first came out, there was just a kind of, um, you know, there was the, the kind of usual suspects. Um, and it took several months for anything serious to come out. Uh, I reckon uh, not only has we delivered the most innovative gaming interface for 10 years, they've also delivered uh, some of the best launch titles that I've ever seen with a new console. So there you go, that's the advert for Wii finished. Don't get me wrong, I will be getting all excited about the PS3 come March. No, no doubt about it. Uh, you'll hear all the gossip here first. But right now, uh, Christmas 2006 is all about we. Obviously, that's spelt W-I-I. Brought to you by AV Forums and avplay.com. This is the AV Podcast. This week's roundtable discussion. 
hosted by Phil Hinton. So it's time for this week's roundtable discussion. On the panel this week, we have Chris McAnany, Kaz Harlow, Simon Crust and Seth Gecko. And we're talking about the movies of M. Night Shyamalan. From Sixth Sense all the way through to his new release on DVD this week of The Lady in the Water. So to kick things off, we will start with his first movie, Sixth Sense. The, 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 the problem with Sixth Sense... Um I mean, we we can obviously talk about the uh, the ending. It's, people have got to know by now, anyway. But uh, and I've discussed it before with with Seth a few times. Um, I sussed that in the first few minutes, and I'm not. I don't often suss movies, but uh, I I picked that up almost immediately. And uh, so, so throughout watching the movie, watching him talking only to the kid, only the kid, only talking back to him, the breath in people's mouths when they were around. The Bruce Willis character—it was so drawn out, laborious—and because I sussed it, and I knew I wasn't wrong, it, it bored me to death. I didn't find it a particularly frightening movie because there was no sinister element to it. Anyway, everyone said, "Oh, it's such a frightening film," and no, not at all. It I was, was a not... bit. Um, it was. It was set up well when, when with the uh, the kid and the apparitions. That was quite well done. The when he was sitting in that tent bit and the, the shadows going on the outside. That wasn't bad. Mm, yeah, well, yeah, it didn't. It, it, no, it didn't, didn't really. He, he. Normally, I, I'm a sucker for like you know when he, scenes of kids in jeopardy. It really gets to me. But um, I didn't feel it at all with this one. Not, not whatsoever. Fair enough. <laughs> no, going on from that, I think I think that um, that it is the kid. It's the is it Haley Joel Osmond? Haley Joel Osmond, yeah. Yeah, it's it's the old kid. before it's the his time. Him. I, I didn't like him at all. I thought absolutely he was too old for the part. He looked like a yeah. a really grown up small kid. It's like um, yeah, he's... some of the kids they use in some of the old uh, in the Japanese Ring movie that they've got a little kid who who just looks like an adult sort of yeah in a child's body, you know, wearing suits and wearing having an, an adult's haircut and it, it it's the so kid it's in uh, in Sixth Sense just it, it, it made the whole thing well he's, he's a good actor, but he's, he's just like it. too professional, isn't he? He's too mature in the role. Whereas if you had a, a kid who was acting like a kid, yeah, it, it probably would have uh, been more effective. The sequence where he's locked up inside the uh, the wardrobe by the other kids, I mean that ordinarily any kind of bullying sort of thing, that would have bothered me but <laughs> they let him out too soon, as far as I was concerned. <laughs> but uh, but on the plus side, um, it, it, I love the look of the film, the autumnal um, aspects of it, um, the shadings. The um, it's a very slow, measured sort of movie. And I, ordinarily, I would have liked that kind of thing. But what we're going to come on to in a few minutes uh, with his later movies, Chimalan, he's just he, he's a, a sham of a movie maker. But I'll leave that for the, the, the later travesties he released. Yeah, I'm actually with Chris, unfortunately, on the sixth sense. I think the only thing frightening was about it was the amount of people who couldn't spot the ending a mile off. You know, everyone's going, oh, it's such a great ending. Oh, it's, it's, uh, you won't get it. And I watched it and like, yeah, okay, he's dead. And and then when they punch me... You can't the ending. Oh, boo-hoo. I can't believe it. And you know <laughs> well, what? At the, is, end of Empire Stri- at the end of <laughs> The Empire Strikes Back, yeah, Darth is Luke's father. Um, oh, no! And he told me there is no Santa Claus the other day, didn't I did. he? I, I did. Oh, he, he is just really terrible. I make John Doe look you like a nice I mean, person. There might not be a Santa Claus, but there is a devil, and it's you. 
It is me. It is indeed. But no, I, I'm sorry. The, the, it was it was the fact that everybody was going on about such a wonderful ending, and oh, it was a shocker, and it's so scary, and you're just looking at it and just going. A, he, a huge problem that he set up for himself, though, is this style of having a great unfolding story when you know, or rather, you've been informed there's going to be a twist ending. I don't know how he's going to dig himself out of this. I mean. It, We'll come on to his, late, his latest movie, yeah. obviously. But I'll, I'll, I've got to agree with you on there, Chris. It was everyone's expecting the twist ending now because it's his. So it's like, you're looking like his for it. Card. You're looking at clues. You're picking up this, that, and the other. And it, you know, it, you haven't got to be a rocket scientist to work a lot of these things out. And as I say, we'll, we'll come on to the village a bit later on. And <laughs> oh dear, we'll indeed. Uh-huh. Oh dear. Well, funnily enough, after The Sixth Sense, he wrote the screenplay for Stuart Little, but we won't talk about that movie for multiple reasons, good taste of being one of them. And we'll move on to Unbreakable, which was the, again, Bruce Willis with Samuel L. Jackson um, superhero movie. Actually, I like this one. I I, I thought this one was a a very neat, sort of quiet superhero film. And because it was so different, um, I I actually enjoyed it, and I, I thought... Jackson gave a great performance. Bruce Willis again on this coming into his it must be his third sort of generation of acting styles, and um, you know it gives a slow, understated sort of performance for what could have been in anyone else's hands. It would have been a big, overblown, grandiose, proper superhero movie, wouldn't it? I, I like the approach he took with that one. Anybody else? Yeah, I thought it was or? a no- novel entry in the whole superhero genre. It was very, very, very different, and. Um, I mean, I'll come on to the village later because I have to say I disagree, and I really enjoyed that. But uh, apart from that, I'd probably say this is one of my favourite of uh, uh, Shyamalan's movies. It's um, it's it is quite it is understated. It's a superhero movie with none of the facets of a normal superhero movie, other than the basic characters who you're told are superheroes, and it's it's very nice. And it's um, I think it's underrated as well. Yeah, I'm afraid no. I can't comment because I haven't seen it. I have the no. DVD sitting, gathering dust on my shelf, uh, well, <laughs> along with after about 20,000 others. Well, at the end, he, re- he discovers he's dead. <laughs> 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 Fantastic. <laughs> and they say that there is n- yeah, no plagiarism. Um, I'm sorry, I hate this film. <laughs> yeah, I, I, really? I, 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 really. You seem shocked. The, the problem I, I had again, I watched it with an open mind, and I sort of I knew that it was something to do with you know he finds out he's a superhero and 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 all that, and then the end happened, and I'm just like went, oh, that, wow, I was mm. just like totally underwhelmed by it. It's like so we we got to that point, um, and I won't spoil the ending. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I, I won't mention the ending properly but basically I just got to the end of it and, and and the big revelation was unfurled and I just went I wasted two hours of my life for that after Unbreakable we have Signs, Signs with Mel Gibson uh, Joaquin Phoenix and uh, yeah and the death of two German Shepherd Dogs oh, that, that really annoyed me that and uh, sit at the flicks when the first one was killed oh <laughs> spoilers are plenty here folks sorry uh, when the first one was killed, I said to me, mate, I, if the next one goes, that's it, I'm walking out of here. And uh, lo and behold, bloody happened. But then again, I, st- I stuck with it. Got to say, I actually quite like Signs. It's um, the kind of quiet invasion um, which War of the Worlds... See, 
when Spielberg made War of the Worlds, that would you wanted great big, you know, and I've covered this quite extensively in reviews for it as well. You wanted the the big slam bang action adventure. We want special effects of plenty, lots of carnage, lots of battles. You didn't show that. You showed things happening over the next hill, and the aftermath and the the repercussions. Um, the way to have done that, if you're going to show a quiet invasion, was the way that Shyamalan did signs, where you had it. It was one again, like War of the Worlds. It was based on around the effects it had on one family, one strange, not quite dysfunctional really, but one tragic family. Um, the <laughs> what I thought was quite bizarre, they're truly bizarre actually, is the uh, the death of Mel Gibson, uh, his, his character's wife which of course we all see in flashback what a way to go <laughs> I mean the the car accident and she's impaled to the, the tree it, that is one of the strangest demises I've ever seen but dealt with in a, in a really um, sensitive sort of manner as well and I, I found myself quite affected by that um, I, I love Mel Gibson's character in it I think he I think he, he really does he plays a good part there um, I, I, I believed in him and the fact that the film was about faith well I don't believe in you know the almighty and all that kind of thing um, but I'm quite happy to accept the way that people do and I think it worked for you know in, in that capacity it, it's a story not so much about the effects of an alien invasion but about you know the power of your own faith and omens of the past affecting the future little lines said earlier on affect how people are going to react to situations later on I liked all that as well. I think I think the the film had a oodles of atmosphere, um, and I think the the, the cornfields uh, and the crop circles they have in them that was a nice touch as well. And the only thing that well, there's, there's a few things wrong with it. I mean, if you're an alien race, you're going to invade the planet, and your only fallibility is water. And this is picked up by by a lot of people. Why did you pick a planet which is 77% covered in water? A bit of a foolish errand, really, isn't it? But and the aliens themselves. I like the way that when you see the video footage from a kid's party in Brazil, Brazil being, of course, one of the hotbeds of UFO activity and, and a place where if you look at 14 times and any off-kilter magazine like that, um, you, and you see photographs and video evidence of so-called aliens, well, the guy in the uh, the green rubber suit, who you glimpse very briefly, and you think, well, that's this guy in the green rubber suit. Well, if you look at these these videos that they show, that's exactly how they're meant to look anyway. So I quite like that approach that he didn't try to make them look particularly, really, you know, alien-esque and that. It's just it's just a guy in a suit. Um, but you know, atmosphere-wise, I thought it was great. It's been ages and ages since I've seen this one. Um, I did. I I enjoyed it. I had a. I enjoyed the build-up to it. Um, the uh, when they're trapped in the pantry is it, and they're using the knife to try and look out. I thought that was a terrific little, terrific little scene. Um, again, you, you've talked about the uh, the wife's death and the uh, and the faith and all that. There was uh, an, another very novel approach. Um, I wasn't a fan of seeing the alien actually. Um, I'd have preferred it if they had hadn't seen the alien at all. And I know they had to to, to close the film off, and they uh, had to hit him with that plank of wood, if I remember it rightly. Giving away another spoiler there. <laughs> um, but uh, I, as a film, I enjoyed it. I did enjoy it. Of 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 the. Uh, of the uh, three or four films that I've seen of his, that was it's my, it's my favourite one. The uh, plank of wood being the uh, baseball bat, which baseball is all to okay. from the uh, omen from the wife being you are, you pinned see. against the tree. 
There's no one you. I, I was heading in the right direction. You were heading in the right direction. But, uh, <laughs> the, the big plank of wood. <laughs> the big plank of wood. <laughs> or the child actress, as she's normally known. <laughs> oh. Um, I haven't. I don't mind signs. I quite liked Mel Gibson in it. I didn't mind uh, Joaquin Phoenix in it. Um, uh, the biggest problem I've got with signs, and this is. Um, and Shyamalan basically trying to do a Hitchcock is put himself in each movie. Um, he's been in everything that he's done, yeah. and 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 in Signs he gave himself a, a particularly big role, and it was quite kind of a key role. And he can't act. I'm sorry, not for, not for Tuffy, not for love, not for money, not for anything. And he he should have just put somebody else in that role. Um, and when he came on screen, it was just like, oh god, it's his cameo. And then when it just went on and on, and you just yeah, thinking, a bit of a finish. problem. In that, well, I think the the problem for me though is not so much that he's a lousy actor, because I think he he doesn't give himself much to do in science. He just happens to be there a fair bit of the time. But um, it's the fact that you know that's him, so he sticks out like a sore thumb, and you're kind of waiting for his appearance. Whereas Hitchcock, uh, it was only the very fleetingest of images that you saw of him. Um, and they worked on more more of a subliminal sort of level, uh, just like oh, it's Hitchcock movie. Yep, there he is. Check everything's in place. And Shyamalan is basically ripping him off. Yeah, mm. and he's but he's padding the role out a little bit too much, isn't he? Way too much. And the other thing that's interesting with Signs, he says, is that again there is an there is no twist really. So we've discussed Signs, which then takes us up to his uh, last movie other than the current one, which is just about to hit stands, and that is The Village. And I know that uh, Chris is a particular fan of this movie, so... <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. This is where it, everything bad about Shyamalan's movie-making really comes to the fore. Um, again, the twist ending, the, the much-celebrated and ballyhooed twist ending, <laughs> you'd have to be totally, well, blind not to see this one coming. The The, the basic premise is... <laughs> I just hate the films, to be honest. <laughs> there you go. You can't be really plainer than that. <laughs> a, 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 a properly structured criticism. It's just it, yeah. a wonderful film. Um, the setting, again, it, it's dour, it's drab. Um, whereas with the sixth sense, the autumnal look of the film actually enhanced the film. In this, the case of The Village, it's just down and dirty, dreary. Um, <laughs> the, my major problem with this, apart from sussing out the ending <laughs> before I'd even seen the film, I sussed the ending from a basic plot synopsis in Empire magazine. I thought, my eye, Eden Project, I think I know what's going on there, is the <laughs> they send out the blind daughter into the woods, um, although they may know the truth of what's really around. And again, it comes down to faith, um, but they send out the blind daughter who into the woods. You know, Blind, woods, trees, branches, twigs in the eye, getting tripped up. You know, it just, no, it doesn't work. And they're going to send it into, um, well, the danger zone, basically. And it's a test of faith and all this sort of stuff. And no, it just, it simply doesn't work. That was, that literally had me howling with derision. It was a truly, truly awful film in every way possible. <laughs> Did you? Did we get that? <laughs> I didn't hate it quite as vehemently as that. Um, uh, I just thought it was boring, personally. Yeah, and it's boring as well. <laughs> yeah, it's boring. It just went on and on and on, and there wasn't a lot happening. You know what? You know what's coming. 
I just found it rather dull. Badly acted, not particularly well shot, and drab. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's a pretty poor film all around. Seth, did you did you have, did you bother seeing it? I, I did. I was dragged, and that's the operative word here, to the uh, the cinema originally to watch this. Um, and I, I remember standing in the queue, and I just turned to my mate and I said, "If I find out that the big twist is a it's a Big Brother situation, I said I'm so going to be miffed." Oh, that miffed wasn't exactly the word I used. Um, and lo and behold, I wasn't a million miles away from what I was thinking. Um, so a miffing all round was hard. I, I was pretty miffed. Um, I just uh, just feel that he's just trying to, uh, at this stage in 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 his uh, writing and movie making, he just wants to do, you know do. We've got this big setup, um, and then you know, um, be a big shock ending. He's a cheat, basically. I mean, it's, it's, Name Sham Alan. <laughs> charlatan. Uh, charlatan is probably the better word. Um, it, it's it's like it. second-rate tales of the unexpected, isn't it? Yeah. It isn't good. It's it's a sh- it's a shocking narrative. It, you know, to try to pull the rug from under someone's feet like that with it, you know, a story where they they want us to care, they want us to to fall for all this. It's a lousy trick. <laughs> I. I just cannot believe that people came out of that and that he said, "Oh, a great film," oh, you know, and they enjoyed it. But you know, <laughs> everyone's different, I suppose. It's just yeah. Really annoying is that he sat down, he wrote this, he produced it, he got all these actors together. They've all read the script. They've all done this. They, they, they've gone into it. They've, it's a well-produced movie. But for what end result? What 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 was the point? I mean, to 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 see a movie to be moved and excited and treated to someone's character development and you know all the necessary things that make have a good time at the movies that was completely undone by his trick of having there that twist ending which makes the whole thing irrelevant <laughs> it's not poignant at all okay so as we stated at the beginning of this piece it's all to do with the fact that lady in the water is about to hit the dvds uh stands early December with Lady in the Water. Um, guys, have you been to see it or based on all of his other movies? You know, is it like uh, you'd rather have you know, Nubonic Plague or something compared to watching that? No way. No way. Uh, from what I've heard about Lady in the Water, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever, which doesn't come as a surprise to me at all. I mean, this is a guy who's wanted to try and mess around with narrative um, and confuse and bamboozle and, and pull the rug from under his, his viewers' feet. From what I've certainly read in, in reviews and people who've seen the film, it it just doesn't make any sense at all. It's all over the show. You really don't know what's happening. Um, it's not pretty to look to look at. It's not eye candy at all. Performances are, are, are just middling. Um, <laughs> it just doesn't it doesn't hang together. So no, I will not be bothering with that one at all. Well. Um... As I, I mean, I, I've said before, I don't like spoilers, so I don't really know very much about the film at all. Having said that, when I popped um, the DVD, a, a DVD in my denim this afternoon, there was a trailer for Lady in the Water. Um, and I watched half of it, and I thought, my God, this looks rubbish. And I didn't watch the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even watch the end of the trailer? <laughs> I didn't even get to the end of the trailer. There's a twist so, at the end um, of the trailer, you know. Pardon? It gets, There's what, a twist, twist at the end of the better. trailer. 
Um, I just got the bit. Uh, the guy was typing on his typewriter or writing in his journal, and he said his life is going to change forever. And I thought, yeah, yeah. So is mine if I watch this film. Um, <laughs> Um, but having said that, I will. I would watch it if it was to come up for review. I would put my hand up and say yes, I'll do it because Chris obviously doesn't. <laughs> that means I'm going to get it. <laughs> Possibly. That's less than subtle twist in our little reviewing scenario. <laughs> oh, it's, it's a tough. It's a tough call, seeing as you guys made me watch the Pink Panther. Who's getting that one? Indeed. Um. <laughs> Oh, I, I've I've seen I've sort of seen the reviews and I've read the synopsis and you know it, it, unfortunately all I can think of is is a bit like the uh, the Monty Python King Arthur bit which is some moisten bit gives you a sword and makes you you know the king and it's just like this is about a girl in a pool and she's got something to go and do and he's going to help her yawn it, it might be a kids fantasy movie but for me it's just going to be like pulling teeth without anaesthesia. One of the uh, the trailers I saw for it well in fact I've only. I've only sat through one trailer for it anyway. It seemed to paint the film as a as a, a horror film, as a monster movie. Which uh, with fantastical isn't. creatures out there. And that well, it isn't from what I read. It's not at all like that. So again, what kind of audience is he expecting to draw from a trailer like that? You know? But is that the fault of the studio for marketing the movie or something that it isn't? Uh, well, in a lot of cases, yeah, but with in, with him, because he has such a, a guiding hand over his productions. I don't know. I, I think he's he's probably trying to draw in as many people as he can, with the, the you know, the purest intention to confound them. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> he he must he must know that his films aren't working in a lot of quarters. Although they're obviously working in some because he's still making he's movies. He's still making them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although he does quite clearly say in a lot of interviews I read with him that particularly this movie was a very personal movie. It's based on, isn't it, a, a, a nursery rhyme he, that he made up on, on spec to tell his kids when he went to bed. And he then, because it, it was so popular with his kids, he then decided to make a script out of it. Well, that's his Something along those lines, then. anyway. So if it's, you know, <laughs> if it's made up on, you know, on spec, <laughs> like that, just to put a kid to sleep. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. It's on the lullaby label. <laughs> <laughs> well, it'll be interesting to see uh, uh, we'll ha obviously be reviewing this on AV Play although I don't know which victim it is going to be that's going to get <laughs> oh, it please God no well obviously all of these movies um, Bar Lady in the Water are out on DVD now um, and Lady in the Water's out in December so out of all the movies that we've mentioned of Shyamalan's which would be your pick of his movies and which uh, region would you pick uh, well there's only one film I'd actually recommend at all and it would be Signs because I do enjoy the movie I have the Region 1 edition which is a nice enough transfer but apparently the Region 2 has a DTS track on it, I've not as yet taken a plunge to, to hear that one so I'd probably say the, the Region 2 copy of Signs just for the DTS And you'd be correct because I have the Region 2 and it does have a DTS and it is better than the Dolby Digital Well there we go. And Signs of course would be my film as well because his others didn't really do anything for me so it's going to be a unanimous 3 for 3, I feel, here, with me saying signs as well. And again, if you're a DTS fan, it has to be the Region 2. Our thanks to this week's panel, Sev Gecko, Chris McAnini, Kaz Harlow and Simon Crust. And we'll have another roundtable for you next week. For real AV talk, this is the AV Podcast. If you'd like to leave us your feedback or suggest a subject we can cover in our future episodes please leave us a post in the podcast forum over at avforums.com. 
or get interactive with us and leave a voice message. Just dial 0208 123 9587. If you prefer to write, you can always send an email to podcast at avforums.com. Manufacturers and distributors should send your latest news to feature in our podcast. Just email your press information to news at avforums.com. And that just about rounds up this week's podcast. This is Jason Bradbury saying thanks for listening. Stay subscribed and tell your friends. The AV Podcast was presented by Jason Bradbury and Phil Hinton. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Player Review Team were Chris McAnini, Cass Harlow, Simon Crust and Seth Gecko. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content including sound clips and music is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.